Hello and welcome to Meet My Potential podcast, where we talk to leaders from around the world to inspire and to ignite your potential. This is your host, Deepa Natarajan, that Indian girl from Toulouse in France. And today we're going to talk about complexity, how to live and how to thrive in complexity with Sanja Blino. But before we get into the episode, if you are looking to make changes and wondering how to make sustainable change and you want to rethink the way you lead and how and make sure that you achieve your goals in a way that you have well-being in a sustained way, then I have a 45-minute masterclass for you. So just head over to meetmypotential.com slash webinar and have a look at that. And let's get into this episode. Today, we have with us Sonja, who's been from 2002, working with the complexity framework Knavin from the Cognitive Edge. She is an expert in helping people think and lead in complexity. And she's been looking after the Cognitive Edge Network and is the South African partner for Professor Dave Snowden's company Cognitive Edge for over a decade. And she teaches locally and internationally about complexity, Knavin, and enabling adaptive organizations. She is a sought-after speaker with loads of experience, so let's welcome Sonja. Hello and welcome, Sonja, uh, to the podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing very well, thank you, um, Deepa. So we are here to talk about our favorite topic, which is complexity, because I think today we're actually living in complexity. So how do you define a complex situation or a complex time? So there's so many different definitions. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Complexity is a bit of an emerging field, so different people will define it differently. But I think the easiest way to think about complexity is when there are um, multiple dynamic variables or agents or you know aspects in a system all interacting with each other in ways that are not predictable or not linear so you know a typical if you think of a, a, a typical newtonian physics kind of an idea you know where every action has a opposite and um you know similar reaction mm-hmm. in complexity when things interact they interact in ways where they are changed through that interaction so mary Ulbeen calls this Rich interactions. So we've got lots of, of um, you know, dynamic. So, so things that are changing themselves are interacting in ways that they are changing each other. And in the end, we just end up with a deeply, um, you know, tangled up, um, messy environment. Um, I think that is the best way that I can describe it kind of in, in terms that, that normal people can understand. Yeah. And in that messy environment, one can just completely get tangled and boggled and wonder, like, how do I lead? How do I set the pace? How do I set a direction for my people? Because there's so many multiple factors to handle. Like, you know, we've just seen uh, with the COVID such a good example of it. But I'm sure even without the COVID, like, you know, complexity has always been around us. And so how do you see the role of a leader in a complex situation who needs to manage multiple facets and at the same time is so far away from, uh, you know, the end, the last person in the chain who's actually doing things in the organization. Yeah, Deepa, I, I think some of the ways that we make sense of this idea of what a leader is and, you know, especially what a good leader looks like 
kind of works against us when we find ourselves in complexity. And, and these narratives, I think, causes or, or the expectations that they put on leaders um, – creates a lot of anxiety when you find yourself in a leadership position. You know, so if I, you know, I've got a lot of, of empathy, especially with senior leaders, because the systems in a way are set up to keep them removed, as you say, from you know, the front lines or the edges of, of the organizations. But then also we've got these narratives that we've bought into about, you know, the individual leader, um, you know, leaders being, um, you know, the pers- the people who can set direction, who knows where to go, who can provide answers. You know, we, we, we really expect our leaders to be certain and to know. And unfortunately, when you're in complexity, because things are so tangled and messy, you very often find yourself in a position where you can't know. And where things are just inherently uncertain. And as you said, with um, with COVID now, this is just, um, you know, it's it's always been there. But COVID has just made the uncertainty and the unpredictability that we're facing, you know, much more salient and, and also... Um, you know, much more, let's call it continuous, you know, so I've been working in, in, in complexity and my main message has almost been we need to befriend uncertainty. And I have found it extremely difficult to deal with this continuous uncertainty. So I think one of the th- first things that I think leaders in, in organizations need to do is almost to to rethink, or in a way, a friend of mine uses the word reauthor, the stories that we hold about leadership and who we are as leaders, and also just what we see as normal, because otherwise we'll keep getting stuck in these old expectations. Um, you know, Diego Espinosa has a, it's one of my favorite quotes, he said, we have outsourced our relationship with uncertainty to certainty merchants. <laughs> and I, I think from a leadership perspective, there are two traps there. You know, one is that we have come to see um, certainty as normal. And so, you know, stability, predictability, certainty, that is how the world is supposed to be. And then when we've got these periods of uncertainty, they need to be temp- temporary so that we can go back to normal. You can hear that in the language that people are using around the new normal, et cetera, et cetera. And so one thing that I think that leaders need to do for themselves, but also for their people, is to normalize this idea that the world is inherently uncertain. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we need to re-befriend uncertainty and learn how to be in that uncertainty. That's the one, the one side. And then I think the other trap for leaders is when they almost unconsciously step into that role of being certainty merchants for their people. Um, you know, sometimes leaders find it very difficult to just acknowledge that they don't know. Um, you know, that space of vul- vul- vulnerability, you know, that they are also, um, you know, uncomfortable, that they also deal with anxiety. And they try to create certainty for people to the extent that people almost become completely dependent on them. And then in that space, you almost remove author- authority or the ability to have agency from people. And they just look to you for, for the answers and for direction, etc. And so I think really... Um, Thinking about what leadership is, who I am as a leader, and what it means in this 
situation that is so much in flux. I think that's one of the first things. It's almost like leaders need to do some inner work, but then also they are very um, you know, practical things that they can do when they find themselves in those um, situations. Fabulous. You just mentioned two very important things. And one of the things is what I um, have in my program, which is called Rethink Leadership. And you just mentioned the word, we need to rethink the way we lead. Mm. Um, and the number one thing that you mentioned is uh, we need to befriend uncertainty. We need to be friends with uncertainty. And a lot of us have been socialized to be visionaries, future-focused, have a vision, have a focus, set up a plan and go towards it. And, you know, set up teams, set up missions uh, so that we can achieve that three-year vision, that five-year vision, and have backup plans, have backup teams, have two different teams competing to achieve the same results. So all these strategies have been put in place to go towards that future vision. So number one is become friends with uncertainty, which means that that three-year mark, that three-month mark becomes a question. Um, and so I'm sure you have tips for that. So what do you, I feel that there's something called dealing and working with the present, with what's present. And what's your take on that? Yes, Deepa, I, I fully agree. And I, I think maybe... You know, the way that I, when I work with leaders, it's reframing that idea of needing to have a very specific goal, um, you know, and a, a specific, almost like a, a, a rigid three-year plan or even a six-month plan at the moment or a strat strategy. Um, it seems a bit too long, but to shifting that from having a specific goal to having a sense of direction. And this is something that I, I find lacking in many of the organizations where, where I, I work because either that sense of direction is a little bit wishy-washy, you know, it's, it's this, mm -hmm. um, you know, very aspirational future st statement, you know, this vision statement that, you know, nobody really knows, you know, mm -hmm. how that is supposed to give direction or it is too, of, too, too narrow, it's too explicit of a goal. Um, and finding that balance between, you know, what can give us, you know, enough of a sense of direction, but it also, you know, allows us to to almost operate within an an, an option field, if you want to call it that. You know, mm -hmm. I've I've been working on on a bit of a framework that um, creates almost like a cone of coherence, mm -hmm. where you have a sense of direction, but then also you, you understand the boundaries that you're working within. So some of the boundaries, you know, we all have things that limit us. There are places we can't go. And then there are things that we choose, you know, so these could be, um, you know, some, you know, values that, that we want to live up to, et cetera, et cetera. And if we see those almost as safety guardrails, so we've got a sense of direction that is broad enough to allow for ad adaptability to and, and to explore different options. And we understand where the boundaries are. So we know where we can't go. Then we can allow for... Um, you know, for some messiness, we can allow for different areas in the business to explore different things. And we're shifting from this idea of being completely aligned to a particular goal and let's say values to being coherent with, with mm -hmm. those. So we, we remain recognizable. And then I, I really like what you said about being in the present because 
one of the um, one of the things that I've been extremely interested in is is reading about how the um, the ancient mariners, you know, the the explorers who, you know, f- I'm thinking, for example, about the ancient Polynesian wayfinders, mm-hmm. how yeah. they, you know, just entered into this complete, completely uncharted territory and this complete uncertainty. Um, and one of the key things that that they also practiced was to remain in the present. You know, they they believed that their um, their vessels, their canoes, were stationary, and they were pulling the the island that they were kind of trying to get to. They were pulling it towards them, and I think that idea of being fully in the present, with the future set as an intention. But then remaining open to, you know, exploring new opportunities as they present themselves. You know, Dave Snowden talks about the evolutionary potential in the present. And I think if we get so stuck on a particular future goal, we miss out on the opportunities that present themselves to us that are potentially unexpected. You know, we're not open to serendipity. We're not curious. We just kind of become fixated on on that goal. So I think that idea of being fully in the present is a really important one in complexity. Fabulous. <laughs> this is, uh, I can't uh, agree more with you. I was born and raised in India. I just moved to uh, Europe uh, a few years ago. And um, when we leave home oh, in Tamil, we always say um, something like, um, come back soon. You know, that's a way of saying goodbye because it's a way, it, we know that when you get out there on the streets and you drive in the traffic in India, we don't know if you'll come back. So, you know, it's a way of bidding, uh, I hope to see you soon. You know, <laughs> it's not saying bye-bye. It's, um, and when we drive on the streets in India, it's like, you have to be present and you know that it's uncertain. You know, you, you, you know that even though you're driving in a lane, and someone from the opposite side can drive very well in your lane, even though that's against the rule. So you're totally ready and prepared for the uncertain things mm. to happen. There, you know that rules don't work. So there is a certain, um, um, it's, um, how can I say that? There is a certain place where it's ingrained in the way life is to deal with uncertainty which I find that in the Western society, especially in developed countries, we are so used to planning and planning and finally executing after we've really studied and analyzed and taken into account all the risks of the plan, and then we get into execution. Yeah, that's so true, Deepa. And I, I think, you know what, when I, when I teach um, complexity, you know, when I work with, with people in, in organizations, one of the first things that I do is, is essentially to say to them, you have always been in uncertainty. You've always been able to navigate complexity. You know, it's, as you say, if you've been in traffic, if you've navigated, you know, if you've driven a car, if you've been in traffic, if you've navigated um, public transport, if you've been in a social setting a social context with friends and extended family you already know how to deal with complexity the problem is that when we step over that threshold into the workplace all of mm-hmm. a sudden we imagine ourselves to be in this wonderfully um ordered and predictable world where we can plan <laughs> everything you know and it's 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 so so really it's about bringing almost our full humanity all of those skills that we already know 
how to apply when we are not at work, to just bring that into the workplace and to let go of, of these ideas that, you know, we can predict everything, we can plan everything. You know, I, I studied meteorology. So I come from, you know, my background is in the natural sciences. And I've just been struck by even, even our relationship with the weather, we have really tried to take all of the unpredictability out of that as well. You know, we want mm -hmm. very accurate predictions. We, we don't want to be caught outside without an umbrella. You know, it's even in the, in the everyday um, aspects of, of our lives, you know, entire industries, for example, like life insurance industries, etc. You know, it's all around just getting all of the uncertainty out of our lives. And I think that is something that we need to... Um, in, especially now in, in this, I, I don't think we can talk about the post-COVID world right now. It's probably still a bit mid-COVID, but I think all of this uncertainty now is calling us to really reflect on and think about our relationship with uncertainty and messiness. Mm -hmm. So how do we, like, what, can you give some tips on how do we embrace uncertainty? How do we become friends with uncertainty and not survive, but rather thrive in the situation? So I think some of it we've, we've already touched on a little bit, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's just becoming aware that we have kind of bought into, you know, these narratives or these beliefs that uncertainty is something bad um, that we need to, you know, get rid of um, and just accept that, you know, just like complexity, you know, complexity isn't good or bad, it just is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's the same with uncertainty, but then also acknowledging that, you know, just seemingly be, just part of being human is to not enjoy, you know, uncertainty and the anxiety that, that not knowing brings. Um, so I think a couple of things that, that I've seen that that helps is to to cultivate curiosity. You know, I think sometimes we we are so certain that we know that you know our way of looking at the world is the right one that we forget to just be curious and to be open to being surprised and to be open to serendipity. So I think um, cultivating curiosity and and just being more open to diversity. You know, I think if I look at what, what we've been focusing on in, in organizations in particular, is over the last few decades, we've, we've focused a lot on efficiency. And part of that efficiency has been to remove all of the, the slack, all of the redundancy out of our systems, which in a way has stripped us of our resilience because it's very difficult to be adaptive if you've got no no slack or redundancy in the system. There's also no time to explore and just be curious. You know, everybody is extremely task focused. And then we've also homogenized everything. You know, we, I always, I'm, I, I feel sorry for people in, in HR who are told by the powers that be that they need to hire people who think differently. Because even if they manage to do that, it doesn't take very long for those people to either leave the organization or just think like everybody else. So I think a key thing to this is how do we become more open to diversity? How do we, how do we really embrace diverse perspectives? Um, how do we become more curious 
so that we don't immediately judge as right or wrong, but we, we become curious. And then just having the courage to be, to be vulnerable. Um, you know, I, I really love some of Brene Brown's work and, you know, acknowledging that when we are in uncertainty, we don't necessarily enjoy it, but that we normalize it and find our way through it collectively. Um, and then I think two, two key things as well, especially for leaders. One is to get closer to the front line and to really empower those people who are closer to the edges of the organization, closer to these complex problems, to also be the ones who can bring the potential solutions to empower them, essentially, the people closer to the edges. But then at the same time as leaders, to not get so sucked into the everyday freneticness, you know, this idea of everything must always just go faster and faster and faster, I think. Um, I do a lot of work in the agile movement and agility to some extent has become synonymous with speed, which is not what I think what, what the original intent was. But I think a key aspect of being in uncertainty for leaders is the ability to slow down, step back. Ron Heifetz talks about getting a balcony perspective. But we need to take time out to just think, to see what patterns are, are emerging and to not just be caught up in the everyday decision-making, the, the freneticness that's happening on the, the dance floor and to kind of take that step back and take time to think. And I think this is probably one of the biggest things that's lacking for many leaders is I don't think that they actually give themselves permission to just take a step back, think don't be forced into action too quickly, but then at the same time to not, um, you know, not procrastinate when you don't have enough information. So it's, it's managing that tension between taking the time to think, but then having the courage to make a decision, even if you don't think that you've got enough information. Fabulous. I love all the points that you just mentioned, and I'm just going to repeat them here and summarize, and uh, you'll tell me if I got it right. Sure. So number one is be open to diversity. And when I hear you say be open to diversity, it's not just being open to diversity in terms of race, in terms of like color, in terms of like sexual orientation, but it's be open to diverse perspectives, be open to talking to people who completely disagree with you, uh, listen to that minority group who's saying something completely different. And that's what I hear behind those words when you say be open to diversity um yes perfect and the, and the second thing that i hear is be curious get curious like with that diverse perspectives like what's happening what's going on because we so often so quickly jump to conclusions make assumptions because we want to make decisions we want to move ahead with speed so um, slowing down that process and really evoking that curiosity of that four-year-old child in you. Uh, you know, and you're calling in from South Africa. The minute we think of South Africa, we think of those uh, African animals, right? And so if I go on a safari and I watch those animals, they're going to be like, oh my God, wow, right? So how can we have that wow perspective uh, today as adults, right? Mm. And the third point that you mentioned is vulnerability. And you spoke about this before in the episode where you say, uh, can I as a leader say, I'm worried? Can I as a leader say, I don't know? Um, can I say, I need help? Um, those are some immediate statements that come to my mind as vulnerability. Mm. Did I get that right? No, definitely, Deepa. And I, I think especially that last one, you know, I, I think where we're heading now with COVID is is we're going to see 
almost the second pandemic around mental health, mental well-being. And that last one from, a, you know, just helping people, you know, for leaders who need to, to look after their people and help their people navigate this. I think that vulnerability to just acknowledge that I also don't know and, you know, I, I also need help every now and again is extremely important because otherwise people, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of burnout in the companies that I'm working for. And a lot of that is because of people trying to reach the, um, the unrealistic expectations that leaders set on them. Um, and they, they're not seeing that vulnerability coming from their leaders. And I think this is going to become even more important. Right. And, you know, as you just mentioned before in the episode, like, where does that responsibility lie? It's not just for the leader to come up and say, I don't know. Because even if the leader does that, is that the people have places responsibility on the leader to, to have those answers. So it's a kind of like a systemic thing. Like, we all need to take responsibility here. Because, like, when... Um, I'm working with a team now and the team had issues in terms of trust and they just put all the responsibility on the leader saying that it's the leader's responsibility to uh, remove the conflicts in the team. Mm. But does the team actually uh, stand up and go and tell the leader and instead of one person going and telling, talking to the HR about it. So there's also this like, how much am I putting pressure on the leader? Yes, I, th I think... Some you know this this idea of of the all knowing individual leader, you know it's it's one of one of the the topics that we're very keen to to investigate at the moment. And one of our areas of research is what does leadership look like in complexity? Because this idea of individual leaders, I think we need to find ways of of creating collective leadership. But I think also there are there are patterns that we've fallen into. And one you've just described is this dependency on a leader. And it, it becomes very, um, you know, it, it, it's quite comfortable for people because that means, you know, if anything goes wrong, you can just blame the leader. You don't have to take responsibility for anything. And so I think one of the things that we need to, to look at is how do... How does the, the behavior of, of the leader, when he does actually, he or she accepts that responsibility, how they deauthorize the group, but at the same time, how they are part of creating, you know, it's almost like this collusion that's going on there, taking responsibility for things that's not theirs. So I, th I think this whole, we need to, as OD practitioners, I think we really need to, to spend time thinking about the systemic aspects of this. Also, how are our systems set up to keep perpetuating that? You know, one of my, the, my favorite metaphors is it's hard to survive in the jungle if you were trained in the zoo. <laughs> and if you think of a zoo, you know, it's a place of dependence. It's a very comfortable place where you don't have to take responsibility. You know, it's, it's not necessarily a place where you'll be extremely engaged and passionate, but it's a comfortable place to be. And so I think we need to think about how we, how we manage performance, how we structure ourselves, what leadership is, you know, and how do we, how do we manage this boundary between the individual leader and the collective? And what does collective leadership look like? And then also, how do you create holding environments for teams where they are able to take up their own responsibility and their own authority and they don't fall back into this dependent relationship with either the leader or the, the organization? And I don't really have answers for this, but I think those are the 
questions that we need to be exploring, especially as OD practitioners. Oh, I'm so disappointed. I was just going to ask you the question. (laughs) (laughs) So what is your recipe for collective leadership? (laughs) I wish I had it deeper, but I'm working on it. But, you know, yeah, this is, I, I like your answer, you know, I'm working on it. We can ask great questions and we, we need to come up with it collectively. We need to sit down and think about it collectively. Can we have this conversation in the office saying like, hey, how can we all like lead collectively? Mm. And, and, you know, I think deeper, the, the, the other thing is in complexity, there are no recipes and something that works and that emerges in one organization you know, like, let's say, I know in the agile community, for example, you know, everybody for a while, they they really um, looked up to Spotify, for example. Spotify had this model of, of agility that everybody wanted to copy, and it, it doesn't work. So, it's almost, again, going back to that idea of valuing diversity, valuing curiosity, and finding your own ways. I think, you know, we can, collectively, we can come up with some principles, pro- probably, but in the end, you need to find your own fit-for-context ways of enabling collective leadership, of becoming more adaptive. Um, I think if we try and look for that silver bullet or that recipe, we're kind of back in the, in the linear, complicated world. We're no longer in messy complexity. <laughs> We want to solve every problem, right? Like we want to actually master complexity, right? And we want to actually find that formula to wade through complexity. And this is exactly what I've been trying to do in my in this episode with you. But uh, and you're so right, right? In saying like embracing uh, uncertainty is really actually about uh, you know embracing diversity, getting curious, like just stay with that curiosity of what does collective leadership look like. Stay with that curiosity of what's happening out here because new answers will emerge for new situations and for every company it's kind of different. And so the first thing you mentioned was be open to diversity. Second was curiosity. And the third was vulnerability. And I like the fourth one, which is really, really key, is get closer to the front line. Get closer to the edges. Um, there are so many layers of not complexity, but there's so many layers, like you mentioned at the uh, beginning of the podcast, we have created layers of complicated systems and processes in our organizations that takes leaders away from the edges. And so many presentations, so many reports, so many unwanted um, misinterpretation or great interpretation of the data that's coming out from uh, from the front lines. But at the same time, having that curious conversations uh, from different edges uh, in an organization would, I think, would serve great purpose. Yes, definitely. I, I think it's, um, you know, there, there are many people around currently who are almost demonizing the hierarchy. You know, they're very anti-hierarchy. So it's all around flattening the hierarchy, getting rid of hierarchies. You know, that's a, a conversation going on. I think if we look at at complex human systems, you know, one of one of my favorite um, complexity uh, thinkers is um, Professor, the late Professor Paul Sillier, and he he wrote, you know, that hierarchy emerges naturally in complex human systems. So there'll always be hierarchy. You, you know, you can see it in any social system. I think the key thing is how do you make that hierarchy adaptive? How do how does it become almost like a living hierarchy and, and and not like the fixed like matrixed organizations that that we see currently, 
And very often these rigid structures and the statuses that we, that we link to certain levels in the hierarchy, all of these things serve to keep leaders away from the edges of the organization, from the front line. You know, it, it creates this distance. And I, I, you know, there are many very practical things. I know that in, in the whole area of lean, for example, you know, they, they, they have this idea of, um, you know, going to the, to the, the Gemba. I think I'm not a lean expert, but it's this idea of leaders needing to expose themselves to the front line to really get close to those people. And I think also to open up channels of, of communication. You know, in, in Cognitive Edge, we have a, a tool called SenseMaker where we, enable mass narrative collection from the entire workforce and present it back to leaders in unfiltered ways. And, you know, that's just one example of a tool. But I think the key thing here is to understand that you can no longer, as a leader, um, having a filtered view of what is happening on the edges of your organization, on the front line. Um, you know, another thing, in it, 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 yeah, having that filtered view it doesn't serve you anymore. And I think the other thing that, that, that no longer serves us is to outsource those um, frontline um, functions. Mm. You know, so many of the companies that I work with, they outsource their call centers, they outsource, you know, they bring in contractors to serve their customers. And if you think about it, you know, those are the people representing your brands. Those are the people who are getting the weak signals of what's going on on the edges of your organization. And those are typically the people that, you know, we are the furthest from. So true. That is so true. Because we want to get efficient mm. and we want to outsource, make it simple, put it out there so that I could just deal with something more complex. But as you rightly said at one point of time, as leaders, we need to stop, reflect, and take time to think, get on the balcony. And that was your fifth point, which actually means that I'm taking time to think strategically. And when I'm taking time to think strategically, it means I have the time to go out and meet those people who are at the front line. Yes, and it, it's it's that. And I think also, you know, in so going right back to the first question you asked me about what complexity is, one of the key um, aspects of a complex system is is this idea of emergence. You know, so things patterns emerge in complex systems we're all always dealing with with um, emergent patterns you know if you think for example in the natural mm -hmm. world we've got birds flocking we've got all of these patterns forming and so very often in complexity we don't deal with defined problems we're dealing with patterns mm -hmm. and if you if you just take that that metaphor of Heifetz where he talks about getting off of the dance floor and onto the balcony when you take that balcony view, when you take the time to step back, you can see the patterns. You're not only kind of, you know, when, if you don't stand back, you can't see these patterns e emerging. So you kind of keep being stuck in the, you know, everyday, you know, like freneticness. It's the only way that I can think of calling <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. Um, but if you are able to, to, to see the patterns as they are unfolding, you can shift to influencing the patterns. 
and empowering the people on the floor to make the everyday decisions. And you can essentially take more of a coordinating role. But you need to be able to take that step back and then to empower the people on the dance floor um, and then not lose that connection with them. So it's a, it's a bit of a, a, a tension there is how mm. do you get closer at the same time, but then also be able to take that higher level perspective so that you can see the patterns as they're un unfolding. <laughs> Beautiful. How do you do that personally in your life? It's a struggle deeper. I think as a leader, you know, it's, it's, it's always so easy to just get sucked into that everyday decision making. I, I, what I've been trying to do is to cultivate a habit of making time for reflection, you know, so every, every morning I try to do that. And then also I try and surround myself with people who are not afraid to ask challenging questions and people that I know have very different perspectives. Um, you know, so I've, I've been, for example, hanging out with, um, with a group of people who are into system psychodynamics. Mm -hmm. So they also take a systemic perspective, but very different, you know, to what we do in complexity. But I think the two are, are um, quite, there's, there's a lot of potential synergy there. But being able to, to just spend time with people who see the world very differently, but where there's some synergy, it's given me new lenses to see the patterns through. And it's given me new questions. So I, I try to almost disrupt myself quite re regularly so that I don't fall into these old patterns. But it's so easy. It's the easiest thing in the world to just fall back into making the everyday decisions for everybody, especially when things are uncertain and that anxiety kicks in and you feel you have to do something. Beautiful. That is so beautiful. Um, morning habits are great. Taking time to reflect, journaling, meditation, whatever be the form for you, taking a walk in the morning, uh, but just creating that Uh, space for yourself is so, so important. And I like the second point that you mentioned is like, how often do we actually uh, seek out? Because life is filled with challenges, like work is always, challenges we always encounter quite easily, especially these days. Um, but seeking out challenging situations where people challenge you, challenge your perspectives, we don't often do that. We tend to be attracted and we tend to form groups of people who think like us, who be like us, who act like us. And I like what you said, like I go out and I actively look for that. And in coaching, uh, the question I would rather ask um, the audience is, what do you truly believe in? Ask yourself that in any given situation and ask yourself in the same given situation, where can you be totally, totally wrong in that situation? Does that, mm. uh, does that seem like a good way to, to practice that? I, I really like the, how can I be totally wrong question? Because I don't think we ask that enough. I think we, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of Jennifer Garvey Berger's work and the, the leadership mind traps. And I think we, we tend to believe we are right. You know, we, we, I think it's just an inherently human thing. And I think taking that pause and just asking, how can I be completely wrong? I think that's such a, a useful question to, to, to ask. Um, one more thing that I, that I do that I forgot about, you know, one of the, um, one of the emerging ideas that I just love is this idea of scaffolding. 
You know, it's how do I create a scaffold that can help me while I'm trying to cultivate a new habit. And for in particular for this idea of of making time to take a step back you know one of the things that i've done in in cognitive edge is we've created a no call friday where we you know we we can still do work so it's not a four day work week but we don't have any zoom calls and a big part of the reason why i did that is to create the space the headspace for us to just take that step back breathe see what patterns are emerging and 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 do work you know not just be stuck in 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 calls all the time so that small change in the system you know the very practical thing that that we did um that seems to be working quite well for us to just you know take a step out of the everyday back to zoom reality that we're back back to back zoom reality that we all <laughs> find ourselves stuck in at the moment yeah, we need time to zoom out, right? We're so zoomed yes. in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and just like uh, Sonja just mentioned, right? Um, time for headspace is not time away. Uh, we need to integrate it into our working systems and practices. Um, it's not about having uh, going to a yoga class or, you know, having time for meditation. It's how do I integrate that well-being into my work life? And that is actually key and not having, okay, work or life and balance. No, it's how do I integrate it into my working life? And I love the way you've done it. Like, you know, no, uh, no Zoom on Friday, no Zoom in on Friday. Let's Zoom out on Fridays. Yes. All right. Fantastic. And for those who are listening and want to know, uh, want to listen to uh, Jennifer Garvey Burge's episode on mind traps, uh, listen to episode number 57. It's really interesting. Uh, Thank you so much, um, Sonja, for being here with us. And before we close this episode, would you like to share one last message with the audience? Sure. Um, yeah, I, th I think, you know, I just want to encourage people. Uh, a friend of mine, he, he has a saying that that I just really love because I think it, it, it gives me, personally, it gives me some hope. And, you know, he says, those who will thrive in the future are the ones who can turn anxiety into creative energy. And I think we're all feeling the anxiety at the moment. We're all, you know, the, the levels of uncertainty and unpredictability and complexity is something that we haven't had to face in the past. But you're not alone we're all learning how to navigate that. And if we can collectively turn that into creative energy, I think we can, we can really make a, a, a big difference in, in the world. So I think that's what I would like to leave the audience with. Beautiful. That is so inspiring. And this is so true. We're all caught up in the midst of anxiety and collectively we need to evoke that creative energy in us to actually move and wade through this and survive these times. Thank you so much, uh, Sonja, for being here with us. And if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do so? Uh, so I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and on Twitter. So my Twitter, Twitter handle is at Sonja BL. Um, and then you can also reach me um, through the Cognitive Edge website, cognitive-edge.com. Thank you so much. I'll put out the links on uh, the show notes. Thank you once again for being here with us and I look forward to talking to you again in one week's time and until then, stay cool. Thanks, Deepa.